I would say this is related to the circular economy. There are a lot of misconceptions and companies want to make their products sustainable and eco-friendly. And now more recently, circular economy is also becoming one of those buzzwords. And what I hear is we have recycled content or our products or packaging are recyclable. Therefore, we are participating in the circular economy. I'm sorry to break it to you, but I expect you're not quite there because the circular economy means it goes around and around over and over, not once. And just because your thing is supposedly recyclable does not mean it will get recycled. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Expert. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Julia Goldstein. And uh, Julia, we're going to be talking about a few things, and uh, including uh, empowering women in STEM and some of the myths that uh, surround women in STEM versus reality. Also, maybe talking a little bit about the uh, circular economy, as well as uh, recycling and reusing materials, and uh, and and how that how you can go about approaching that. So it should be a, a great conversation. With that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Julia. Thanks, thanks, Devin. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely excited to have you on. So now. So before we uh, dive into the the topics at hand, why don't you just uh, take a, a minute or two, uh, just uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Excuse me. Yes, I am a business owner and an author on a mission to make manufacturing more environmentally responsible. And I, I come from originally being an engineer back in the 90s to becoming a writer, a consultant, a teacher. I have done a lot of different things over my career. Awesome. Well, sounds like a, a good career. And just as a quick reminder to the audience, so Julia has also been on our sister podcast, The Inventive Journey. So if you want to go catch her full episode, definitely go, or go and make sure to, to catch your episode there. Um, but uh, for for today, and maybe jump, or jumping into it a, a bit in no particular order, I mean, I think that one of the Shifts are just a bit in, in STEM has been uh, with the uh, focus of, and, and rightly so, empowering women and, and making sure that, uh, you know, that uh, it's equally catered to and it has the uh, opportunities presented there. But I think there are still or sometimes some myths that surround, uh, you know, STEM and women in STEM and kind of the myths versus reality. So kind of walk us through maybe what are kind of some of those myths versus reality that you tend to see? Well, it's interesting, and I think it varies by, it does vary by generation. And I want to specifically mention where I went to college, Harvey Mudd College. And I'm a bit older than I look. I attended there in the 1980s. And at the time, my my class, my year was 26% women, which was at that time an all-time high. They had made an effort to recruit more female students. And I would say that I felt that the male students, they 
they treated us reasonably and they treated us as equals and like we belonged there. There were some of the professors who perhaps thought we didn't, but I also just, I grew up with like, well, of course I'm in a male dominated field and I didn't expect to have women as professors. And now at Harvey Mudd, it's 50%, the, the student body is literally just about 50%. And any given year, there might be more male or female graduates in you know physics, engineering, chemistry, math, name any of those majors. And one year there might be more men, one year there might be more women. And there's such a greater diversity in faculty. So we had just assumed, well, I guess I hadn't thought about the fact that just, well, it's just white men who are in charge because that's just kind of how it always was. And a lot more now people are saying, wait a minute, we want mentors who look like us. Because I know we kind of, there was still this, like, what does an engineer look like? It's a nerdy, white, young male with a pocket protector and, you know, hmm. that kind of, it has no social abilities whatsoever and is just brilliant. Well, no, what an engineer looks like is a lot of different things. And there's actually, there's a film called Picture a Scientist. And it, so the idea that we are here, we are smart, we can do this. And our experience is different than the men. And sometimes women who don't feel like they have fit in, have drifted away from science and engineering. And that is really unfortunate. Obviously, everybody deserves to choose whatever career path they want and to to not feel shut out because of who they are, and then they take a different journey. Hmm. No, makes uh, makes perfect sense. And so now, or maybe kind of shifting towards that. And so as you're, because I think that you know, STEM is a a good uh, a good field or a good uh, opportunity for a lot of people, whether it's men, women, um, you know, whether it's uh, different races, different genders, different ages, you know, all across the board, it can present a lot of opportunities and uh, and be a good field for people uh, of you know of a lot of uh, diverse backgrounds. And so, with that, what is kind of the way that you go about kind of empowering people or otherwise getting them maybe? interested in a field that they hadn't considered or otherwise getting them in, engaged with it? Kind of what is the, the approach that uh, people or you know, that you take or how do you go about doing that? Well, okay. First of all, I'm not, this is not my job to, to do this, but I do know people who are, who are involved in more in that kind of thing. I think the critical thing is starting the education young because if you just say, oh, we want people from these underrepresented underrepresented groups to be here at our college, to work here at our company, but they don't have the same background, it's to some degree, you're setting them up to fail. Now they may succeed anyway, but you want to give people opportunities earlier in life. And fortunately, there are a lot of programs and there, there are programs that are specifically geared at getting people excited about STEM um, and that there are so many different areas. Um, one interesting thing, so a lot of my background is in semiconductor industry, making, well, I wasn't making computer chips. I was making the packaging, which in this case means it's the electrical connections and the protection 
of one of those silicon chips when it goes onto a circuit board. But in any case, it's an industry as people are becoming more aware, especially in the last few years, computer chips aren't just in our phones and our laptops. They're in our cars, our appliances, they are everywhere we go and we need lots of them and we need people to make them. And we really need to encourage the next generation to say, this is a viable career path. And you might not have thought of it, but it's it's exciting and there are new opportunities and we want to, to get a diverse group of next generation engineers, technicians, et cetera, excited about this field. Hmm. No, I think that uh, makes sense. And, uh, and uh, you know, certainly uh, a lot of uh, are good opportunities to, to help people to to address maybe preconceived notions or otherwise uh, get them interested in a field and uh, get them, you know, or get them excited about it. Now, shifting gears just a little bit to one of the other topics that we talked about just a little bit um, before the podcast was also kind of with the idea of, you know, recycling, reusing materials and how uh, how to talk with people that can uh, have expertise in this area and kind of going about approaching that. And so walk us through a little bit of, you know, when you're you're kind of looking now at the recycling, reusing materials and kind of approaching that and and talking about people with that uh, in that area of expertise, kind of any thoughts on that area? Well, it depends on, are you talking to people at companies in their workplace in that context, or are you talking about what people do at home? Because those are two different hmm. things. So let's we'll tackle the first one, which is, so if you're talking to people in a business setting and, and you're working to convince them or otherwise move them that direction and the merits and that kind of, how do you go about approaching it within the, the business setting? Got it. There are so many different ways. There are simple things that you can start talking about where there's a client that I was working with where they said, oh, we got rid of all those plastic water bottles we were just giving to our clients. And now we have a big jug of water and reusable cups. Now, if you are a company that's manufacturing products and using loads of energy and you have a supply chain with all these supplies, you're, you're getting all the chemicals, all the parts, all the materials, and all the energy to run your equipment, the water bottles is a tiny, tiny piece of that. Hmm. It's also visible. So I'm not saying don't do that because that is something that all the employees see as an example. And then the thing is to get employees throughout the company empowered to suggest changes that will make things that use less energy or really consider, okay, swapping out one material for the uh, for another, there are a lot of ramifications. And you have to maintain the quality of your products because if you make something that is lousy and it's going to break and it's not going to meet the customer's needs, it doesn't matter how so-called eco-friendly it is. That's not a good solution. Hmm. Uh, so you you know you've got to get the experts throughout your company involved in making those kind of changes. And actually, my upcoming um, next book is called Materials and Sustainability: Building a Circular Future, and it is really about that about how all these different materials are made and some things to think about. There's a lot of things that people 
don't know, or maybe they have misconceptions. They think, oh, we just need to do X. And that may be one step. And it might or might not be enough, or it might not be the right first step. And again, I know it, that sounds kind of vague, but it really depends on, you know, what are you making and what is the biggest impact? And there's all kinds of analyses you can do to say what change is going to make the biggest difference. And again, sometimes you might want to start with something visible that everyone sees, but then think, okay, what is really, what lever to pull to make the biggest difference in our carbon emissions, our waste, et cetera, that isn't going to take 10 years to put into place. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Now, or kind of one maybe question on that, because I think that when you get into anything with recycling, reusing, I mean, I think in a, in a higher sense, people are, nobody has a problem with, you know, if, if it's or making things better, making things improved, recycling, reusing. And then the other sense, at least on the business perspective, sometimes you'll get the perspective of, yes, but this will, you know, hamper us with be able to compete or the competition won't do this. And then it'll be an added expense on our bottom line and make it more difficult. Any thoughts as to when you're kind of in the business arena, how you go about kind of approaching or tackling to some of those, whether they're myths or reality, but kind of how to uh, approach some of those uh, issues with, that uh, sometimes arise, uh, arise when you're, uh, when people are considering it. So you are right. That is something that comes up. The important thing is to really look, look holistically, look long-term. And I know that can be difficult in the business world. There's a lot of emphasis on, especially if you're a publicly traded company, the quarterly returns, et cetera. But long-term, and again, it depends on your industry. What are your customers asking for? Do they care about the emissions or waste or toxic chemicals associated with your product or don't they? And that your approach and what you say and how you communicate to your customers, if you're making a change while you're doing it, it depends on what they care about. Is there a way to say, okay, this is better in these ways and it still meets all these requirements that you have, you are not suffering. Now, again, there might be some cases where temp their product may cost more. Well, in that case, it's got to provide some additional benefits because depending on what kind of customers you have, they may be willing to pay a little more because of what they get. And there's loads of examples like that. And, and if you are in a market where the only thing you've got to do is make stuff as cheaply as possible, well, that's unfortunate sometimes in any case. Uh, and 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 in those kind of situations, companies might feel stuck until the regulations force them to change. And then if you look at that, you realize, oh, that is going to squeeze us way more if we are suddenly caught flat-footed in a year or two or five when the regulations say, oh no, we can't make things the way we've been making them, or we can't package things the way we've been packaging them, you're not gonna be able to turn on a dime. Makes sense. So no, I, I think that that one's one. And I said, it is that 
that balance between what is coming, what is, you know, what's, or how or near term it is, what's important to your customers, you know, can you make it feasible and does it, you know, how impactful can you be? And then balancing all those, I think is a, a good way to, to approach it now. One of the the last things that we uh, talked about uh, just a, a bit is also the idea of uh, a bit of, of a circular economy. So maybe the first thing is, is you know, for those that maybe aren't as familiar with the term or aren't uh, haven't uh, or you know haven't hasn't come up or looked at as much, what is a circular economy, and kind of fill us in as to a little bit of the the details there. Yes, the circular economy stands in contrast to a linear economy. And what we have had for a long time in this world is a linear economy. We extract resources from the earth, right? Fossil fuels, uh, minerals to make metals. The fossil fuels make oil and gas and also make plastics. We cut down trees. We take those resources. We use energy, more fossil fuels usually, or coal or something, but hopefully renewables anyway, to make products. And then the products last however long they last. And then when they're done, we dump them. And so they're done. The idea of circular economy is that instead of all that stuff just going to landfill or being incinerated or ending up in the oceans, that all those materials that have gone into making those products are then reused. They're brought back into a system where they can be used in something else over and over and over again, ideally infinitely in this circle. Hmm. Does that, did you think that makes sense to your, uh, your listeners who may not be familiar with the, with the term? So it doesn't have to do with what country you're, you're in or the economics of the country. It's really about what we're doing with the materials and components in the physical products that we make. No, I think that's a great explanation. And then that uh, certainly makes sense. So now as you were to say, okay, now how do you, you know, with that kind of as a backdrop or as, as kind of an explanation, whether, or maybe and you can split up if you need to, but if, whether you're an individual or you're a business, how do you kind of go, a, a, what is the approach or how do you go about kind of applying that within your industry or, or kind of what are some of the ways that you can actually leverage or utilize that? I think recognizing that the first step is reuse. And another piece of the this circular economy idea is that there is also a natural cycle. And I can talk more about that later. And that is best represented by you know organic material, meaning things like food products and you know and plants and all that. Composting is an excellent example of a circular system. You take, right? You, you harvest something, you make it into food, there's scraps left over. Those become compost, which becomes soil for the next generation of plants, fruits and vegetables, what have you that you're growing. And so what I would say to, to businesses and to individuals is composting. If you, if you can have access and you can do it, and I know a lot of places don't necessarily have access, but food waste makes up a significant portion of what's in our landfills. And when it decomposes, it releases methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. 
it's much more intense even than carbon dioxide, which is used as kind of the baseline example of a greenhouse gas. So that's that's one piece. If you if you don't have composting in your in your city or at your workplace, hmm. see if you can get that going. Awesome. That could be a whole long discussion. So that's enough of it. I'll say about that's as much as I'll say about that for now. Awesome. No, I think that's a, a great uh, initial step that uh, is uh, within the reach and the ability of a lot of businesses as well as individuals and can get them uh, started on there, started that, that down that path that will be uh, beneficial to present day as well as in the future. So, well, we're already, or as quick as that went, we're already reaching towards the end of the podcast and it feels like the conversation just barely got started. So we'll have to have you back on to maybe one of our sister podcasts and have a, a follow on conversation um, but at least for today, as as we do or start to wrap towards the end of the episode, I always have a one question I like to wrap up with. And we kind of already hit on this at the beginning of the, the podcast, but we'll hit on it nonetheless, which is within your industry, what is the biggest myth and why is it wrong? I would say this is related to the circular economy. There are a lot of misconceptions and Companies want to make their products sustainable and eco-friendly. And now more recently, circular economy is also becoming one of those buzzwords. And what I hear is we have recycled content or our products or packaging are recyclable. Therefore, we are participating in the circular economy. I'm sorry to break it to you, but I expect you're not quite there. Because the circular economy means it goes around and around over and over, not once. And just because your thing is supposedly recyclable does not mean it will get recycled. And depending on what kinds of materials it has in it, they may not be able to really be feasibly all separated from each other. So it's going to end up in the landfill anyway. But let's say it doesn't. Some of those things are going to get repurposed into products that are only really going to have one lifetime ever. Like if you take these different plastics and make them into plastic lumber. Okay, a plastic bench, it's going to last a long time, but it's not part of the circular economy. Hmm. If that plastic bench 50 years from now is done with, that's it. It's not, or who knows, maybe in 50 years, there'll be a different method. But in general, there's a lot of this tendency of like, our products and our packaging are recyclable. Therefore, we're part of the circular economy and pat yourselves on the back. And there's progress. And I see, you know, like using recycled content, especially, and that is good. And it shouldn't be the first step. No, I think that, you know, I think that's a great takeaway. And I think to your point, sometimes people just, or, you know, you get uh, different terminology and it's not to say one is bad. And if you can make something that's uh, more sustainable or you can approach and use the materials that last longer and more durable and other things, uh, that's a great thing. But uh, having that distinction and um, tackling the different uh, problems uh, or different issues definitely is a great method to spell and a great takeaway. Yeah, because it's it's difficult because I think a lot of you know people hear the buzzwords and then they also don't know, well, wait, how do I interpret this? And people mean well, they want to do better. And sometimes they're also spinning it in a way that's not 
really telling the whole story. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, definitely true and uh, a great uh, or great uh, miss of the spell. So, well, now as we are wrapping up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Well, I would say one thing is to uh, take a look at me on LinkedIn. You can find my LinkedIn profile and uh, connect with me there and say that you met me on this podcast. So I know you're not some random person just trying to sell me something. And uh, you can take a look at my website, jlfgoldstein.com. If you go on the contact page, you can send me a message. I respond to those. And I look forward to talking with you. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out, um, make a, a new connection, support a great business, if nothing else, uh, and make a new best friend. So with that, thank you again, Julia, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you the listeners that are out there, um, if you can help us to share this expertise with even more startups and small business by uh, clicking share, subscribe, and leaving us a review, really helps us to, find, or to support those uh, other startups and small businesses along their journey to success. And on that note, if you ever need to help along your journey with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your startup or your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Julia, for uh, coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks so much.